Hello, and welcome to In the Word with Michelle Telfer. Thank you for joining us for this in-depth study of God's Word, the Bible. For more of Michelle's resources or to read her blog, visit her website at intheword.com. And now, Michelle. In our last lesson, we studied the first vision that Daniel personally received from the Lord. We noted how it paralleled the dream that God had given to Nebuchadnezzar all those years before, a dream which you may remember illustrated the transfer of power between dominant empires over the years to come. Daniel's vision in chapter 7 also revealed the final worldly empire that falls under the control of Satan. Scripture tells us that this final government will be ruled over by a leader who is vehemently opposed to Christ. This kingdom of the Antichrist is initially established through the support of ten world leaders, which equate to the ten toes made from clay and iron that featured in Nebuchadnezzar's image. In Daniel's vision of chapter 10, those 10 leaders were described as 10 horns. In interpreting these visions, God clarified for Daniel that both the toes and the horns were references to 10 kings who arise in the end times to support the Antichrist just prior to Christ's return to earth. Most importantly, you will also recall that Nebuchadnezzar's dream described a stone that had not been fashioned by human hands, which struck the image on its feet, causing it to crumble. Representing the coming kingdom of Christ, that stone grew to fill the whole earth. And Daniel's own vision in chapter 7 confirmed that this would indeed be the culmination of history, revealing that God's kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and that all rulers will worship and obey him in the end. So let's continue in Daniel chapter 8 where we learn of the second vision God gave to Daniel. Verse 1. In the third year of King Belshazzar's reign, I, Daniel, had a vision after the one that had already appeared to me. In my vision, I saw myself in the citadel of Susa in the province of Elam. His first vision had occurred in the first year of King Belshazzar's reign. This second vision was given to Daniel two years later. This would have occurred in 551 BC when Daniel was approximately 69 years old. Daniel seems to be visiting the city of Susa in the Babylonian province of Elam when the Lord speaks to him again of future events. As before, God warns of a procession of enemies and world rulers that would hold authority over Israel in the coming years. But the Lord also reveals that his people are not to lose heart because he is on his throne. Verse 3. I looked up, and there before me was a ram with two horns standing beside the canal, and the horns were long. One of the horns was longer than the other, but grew up later. I watched the ram as he charged towards the west and the north and the south. No animal could stand against him, and none could rescue from his power. He did as he pleased and became great." 
Daniel sees a ram with two horns, one of which was longer than the other. Previously, we learned that horns in prophetic scripture symbolize the power and authority of kings. Because this ram's horns are of unequal length, we understand that this is an empire in which there will be an unequal distribution of power. It will be revealed later that this ram represents the empire of the Medes and the Persians, the alliance which was soon to displace Babylon in that area. This empire was described in Nebuchadnezzar's dream in chapter 2 as the empire of silver, the empire of the chest and two arms, which is a good description of an alliance of two powers working together. Though the Medes and the Persians ruled jointly, with the passing of time and in fulfillment of the prophecy, the Persians became more powerful than their allies, the Medes. As Daniel described it here, one of the horns was longer than the other, but grew up later. In his dream in chapter 7, this empire was the bear with one side higher than the other. So do you see how these dreams and visions overlap and reveal more details as we go along? God is revealing things bit by bit. Daniel also noted that the alliance represented by this animal will come out of the east, charging towards the west and the north and the south. He reveals that they are strong, that no one will be able to stand before their intimidating army. They will do as they please without fear of retribution and they will become great. Daniel is pondering the two-horned ram when in verse 5 he continues, As I was thinking about this, suddenly a goat with a prominent horn between its eyes came from the west, crossing the whole earth without touching the ground. He came toward the two-horned ram I had seen standing beside the canal and charged at him in great rage. I saw him attack the ram furiously, striking the ram and shattering his two horns. The ram was powerless to stand against him. The goat knocked him to the ground and trampled on him, and none could rescue the ram from his power. This next animal represents a new empire that will arise out of the west to ferociously attack and challenge and defeat the two-horned ram. This empire corresponds with the bronze section of the image in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, the empire that would replace the Medes and the Persians. In Daniel's previous vision in chapter 7, this empire was the third beast, the one that was like a leopard, an animal known for the swiftness and ferocity of its attack. However, here in Daniel chapter 8, in his second vision, the empire appears as a goat that moves so rapidly across the earth he seems not even to touch the ground, and he strikes and utterly shatters the invincible Medo-Persians. Daniel also saw there is one prominent horn between its eyes. That horn symbolizes the leadership of Alexander the Great, who initially was the key person in this conquest. Alexander was an incredible warrior who rose to lead the armies of Greece and who conquered most of the known world by the time he was just 18 years old. He is still recognized as the greatest military leader in human history.
Verse 8. The goat became very great, but at the height of his power, his large horn was broken off, and it's in its place four prominent horns grew up toward the four winds of heaven. Out of one of them came another horn, which started small, but grew in power to the south and to the east and toward the beautiful land. The breaking off of this large horn at the height of the empire's power speaks of the untimely death of Alexander the Great. Because he died young at the age of only 33 and was without heirs, his kingdom was split among his four generals. We'll see more about that in a moment. As the large horn is removed, four other important leaders arise to take charge of the region in his place. When Daniel says they grew up toward the four winds of heaven, it really speaks of these leaders spreading out in different directions. From them, another leader shall come who is particularly important to Daniel because of the influence he will have over Daniel's people, the Jews. Out of one of the four horns came another horn which started small but grew in power to the south and to the east and toward the beautiful land. In this passage, the beautiful land is a reference to the promised land of Daniel's people. Historically, two of Alexander's generals fought over control of the Jews' homeland, with Seleucus I of Syria eventually gaining control over Judea. From his lineage, a new king would arise years later, who would grow to have incredible power over the Jews. This leader would be evil personified, his name Antiochus Epiphanes. His title was really Antiochus IV, but filled with pride, at some point he took the name Epiphanes, which meant wonderful manifestation, because he saw himself as being a revelation or an epiphany of the gods. He was a formidable dictator with a particular hatred for the Jewish people, and he would rule the area from Syria to Judea from 175 BC to 163 BC. Antiochus Epiphanes is an important figure because, as is often the case in the Old Testament, this historical character and the events that surround him are also a picture of what is to come when the Antichrist will rule just prior to the second coming of Christ. In verse 9, he is also referred to as being a little horn, which we have seen elsewhere is symbolism used of the Antichrist. However, according to Daniel chapter 8 verse 9, this particular little horn originates out of the four horns associated with the old Greek empire. In other words, this is not the same little horn that was referenced in Daniel chapter 7. That one arose in the of 10 world leaders of end times. However, as we shall soon see, there are great similarities between the two. Both of them are surely motivated by Satan to be against God and his people. So let's look at the prophecy of Daniel with regard to how it was fulfilled by Antiochus Epiphanes, with the understanding that it will also provide a picture of the future Antichrist.
The ruler of Daniel's vision focuses southward on the glorious or beautiful land belonging to the Jewish people, and he begins to grow in power. Speaking of the little horn, Daniel continues in verse 10. It grew until it reached the host of the heavens, and it threw some of the starry host down to the earth and trampled on them. It set itself up to be as great as the prince of the host. It took away the daily sacrifice from him, and his sanctuary was brought low. Because of rebellion, the host of the saints and the daily sacrifice were given over to it. It prospered in everything it did, and truth was thrown to the ground. Both the host of heaven and the stars, in this case, are seen as being references to the Jewish people themselves. And the symbolism comes from Joseph's dream in Genesis chapter 37. Jacob, who was given the name Israel by God, had 12 sons who would become the fathers of the 12 tribes of Israel, Joseph being one of them. In Genesis 37 verses 9 through 10, Joseph had a prophetic dream that depicted his parents as the sun and the moon and his brothers as being stars in the heavens. As the Jews are likened in scripture to the heavenly host and the stars, Daniel's vision reveals that Antiochus Epiphanes, inspired by Satan, would knock them to the ground and trample them. Daniel goes on to say that this individual in his vision even exalted himself as high as prince of the host, meaning that this worldly leader would exalt himself and actually claim to be God himself. He would put a stop to the daily sacrifice in the Lord's temple in Jerusalem, and he would see that God's truth was thrown to the ground. And worst of all, because of man's sinfulness, everything this leader does will seem to prosper. The historical Antiochus Epiphanes would actually do all of this, and we know from Revelation and other texts that when the end-time Antichrist comes, he too will carry out many of the same schemes. Satan empowers both of them, and so it's no wonder that their strategy is remarkably similar. We know that the historical Antiochus Epiphanes declared himself to be God, even having the word theos or God etched on coins that had his face on them. He hated the Jews and their living God, and he tried to Hellenize them. In other words, he set out to destroy their identity and their faith. The high priest in Jerusalem was appointed by God for the duration of his life. However, in 171 BC, Antiochus Epiphanes replaced the true high priest with a Greek sympathizer by the name of Jason. And after that, Antiochus allowed others to buy positions in the priesthood, which was totally contrary to what God had decreed. Religion was up for sale, and the sacred was opened up to the highest bidder. In his quest to stamp out the Jewish religion, Antiochus Epiphanes banned God's people from practicing the Sabbath, from circumcising their children, and from following their food laws, and any Jew caught with a copy of the Law of Moses would be put to death.
And as if all that were not enough, we know that in December 168 BC, Antiochus Epiphanes attacked Jerusalem and desecrated the Jewish temple by replacing the sacred altar with an altar to Zeus. And upon that altar, he sacrificed a pig, the most offensive animal to Jews, in order to make it clear his utter disdain for God Most High. Not content with what he had already done, Antiochus Epiphanes declared that all Jews be forced to sacrifice to Zeus, and he sent out his soldiers to ensure that his orders were carried out. One of his men came to the Jewish settlement of Modin, where he commanded an old Jewish priest by the name of Mathathias to sacrifice to Zeus. The priest did not move, and so a young Jew, trying to protect the old man, stepped forward offering to make the sacrifice on his behalf, saying that Mathathias had not obeyed because he was too old, to which Mathathias loudly declared, It is not not because I am too old to make the sacrifice. It is because I refuse to do it. And with that, and with that, he drew a knife and stabbed the young Jew who had been so quick to betray the living God. In the ensuing fight, the soldier was also killed. Mathathias and his sons took off for the hills and the Jewish resistance movement was born. One of Mathathias's sons, Judas Maccabeus, became their leader and so they became known as the Maccabees. And in December 165 BC, three years to the day since Antiochus Epiphanes had desecrated the sanctuary in Jerusalem with the pig, the Maccabees took the temple and the city. They purified the sanctuary, restored the altar and relit the lamp in the holy place. This was a very significant act. They knew that the lamp in the holy place once lit was never supposed to go out. However, the Maccabees had only found enough sacred oil in the temple storehouses to run the lamp for one night. Though it would take eight days to prepare more oil to the correct standard, they chose to use the last drops of sacred oil to light the lamp anyway and a miracle occurred. The lamp continued to burn for eight nights until new oil was ready. That event became remembered in a yearly celebration referred to as the Feast of Dedication, and we find it mentioned in John chapter 10, verse 22. Today, it's known as the Festival of Lights or Hanukkah. And Daniel goes on in verse 13, Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to him, How long will it take for the vision to be fulfilled? The vision concerning the daily sacrifice, the rebellion that causes desolation, and the surrender of the sanctuary and of the host that will be trampled underfoot. He said to me, it will take 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary will be reconsecrated. Apparently, Daniel overhears the conversation between what we guess are two angels. He comes to understand that at some point in the future, God's people and his sanctuary in Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot for 2,300 days until the sanctuary will be cleansed. 
biblical years are slightly different in length to normal calendar years. And if you calculate this time period in years, it would work out to a little over six years, which was the same amount of time between when Antiochus Epiphanes first deposed the high priest in 171 BC and then the final cleansing of the temple by the Maccabees at the end of 165 BC. It's interesting that though Daniel had been given the ability to interpret the dreams and visions of other people, here we find him having to seek the meaning of his own vision from angels. Look at verse 15. While I, Daniel, was watching the vision and trying to understand it, there before me stood one who looked like a man, and I heard a man's voice from the Ulai calling Gabriel, Tell this man the meaning of the vision. As he came near the place where I was standing, I was terrified and fell prostrate. Son of man, he said to me, understand that the vision concerns the time of the end. Suddenly, one who looks like a human is standing before Daniel and the prophet hears a voice. Daniel understands this voice as though it were a man's voice, but it is very likely the voice of the Lord commanding his angel to speak. It becomes clear in verse 16 that the angel Gabriel is to give Daniel the interpretation. It is interesting that only two of God's angels are ever named in Scripture. Gabriel is God's special messenger tasked with some of the most important messages from God to men. It is Gabriel, for example, who appears to Zechariah in Luke chapter 1 verses 11 through 20 to announce the birth of John the Baptist. Gabriel also appears in Luke chapter 1 verse 26 to 38 to announce to Mary that she will bear the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The only other angel ever named in scripture is the archangel Michael, who is revealed as the defender of Israel, and we'll see him mentioned in Daniel chapter 10 when we get there. Daniel tells us here in verse 17 that he was so afraid of Gabriel, he fell on his face as the angel approached him. Understand that the phrase son of man here, all without capitalization, in this case means human. So what does the angel tell Daniel specifically? He tells him to understand that the vision ultimately concerns the time of the end. Though it would be fulfilled in part by the historical figure Antiochus Epiphanes, it is important that we understand that there is more revealed to Daniel that applies to the final days just before Christ's second coming. We're told that Daniel appears to be in a deep sleep as he re receives more of the vision. Verse 18. While he was speaking to me, I was in a deep sleep with my face to the ground. Then he touched me and raised me to my feet. He said, I am going to tell you what will happen later in the time of wrath because the vision concerns the appointed time of the end. 
Gabriel raises Daniel to his feet and tells him what will happen later during what he calls the time of wrath, which will take place at the appointed time of the end. In other words, this is what will occur during the final years of world history, when God's wrath is poured out on mankind. The prophet Zephaniah also speaks of this day of wrath in Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 14 to 18, saying, that the great day of the Lord is coming and that it will be a day of distress on all people as never known before and that the whole earth will be consumed as Jesus comes to judge mankind. Gabriel begins to explain the vision to Daniel. Verse 20. The two-horned ram that you saw represents the kings of Medea and Persia. The shaggy goat is the king of Greece, and the large horn between its eyes is the first king. The four horns that replaced the one that was broken off represent four kingdoms that will emerge from his nation but will not have the same power. In the latter part of their reign, when rebels have become completely wicked, a stern-faced king, a master of intrigue, will arise. He will become very strong, but not by his own power. He will cause astounding devastation and will succeed in whatever he does. He will destroy the mighty men and the holy people. It is a clear synopsis here of what we've already been speaking about as we've studied this text. However, this section not only applies to Antiochus Epiphanes, it also is a foreshadowing of what will come in the days of the Antichrist. Our first clue to that is that this concerns the appointed time of the end. In the latter part of mankind's reign on earth, when the rebellious have become completely wicked, this master of intrigue will arise. This world leader who is against God and his people will become very strong, but not by his own power. In part, he shall arise with the help of the ten kings, as we've learned elsewhere. But even more than that, it is Satan's power that gives him such strength. 2 Thessalonians 2 mentions this individual as being the son of destruction, and here we see that he will cause astounding devastation, not only destroying mighty men who are opposed to him, but also destroying the holy people of God. This representative of Satan will cause deceit to prosper, and he will consider himself superior. When they feel secure, he will destroy many and take his stand against the prince of princes, yet he will be destroyed, but not by human power. Deceit will be rampant in the days of his rule, and just when many feel secure, this end-time world leader will pounce to ultimately destroy many. The Antichrist will exalt himself and will challenge even the prince of princes, the ruler of rulers, in other words, God himself. Who will ultimately bring down this tyrant? Gabriel declares he will be destroyed, but not by human power. And that corresponds with what was revealed in Nebuchadnezzar's dream. The stone that destroyed the feet and toes of the image was not fashioned by the hands of men, but by the very hand of God. The Antichrist and his global government will be thrown down in like manner, not destroyed by the work of men, 
but rather by a powerful move of God. The angel concludes in verse 26. The vision of the evenings and mornings that has been given you is true, but seal up the vision for it concerns the distant future. Daniel was told to seal up the vision for now because it was to remain closed as the time had not yet come. Its fulfillment concerned the distant future. As the images vanished from Daniel's mind, he declares in verse 27, I, Daniel, was exhausted and I lay ill for several days. Then I got up and went about the king's business. I was appalled by the vision. It was beyond understanding. This greatly affected Daniel for days. He was so concerned about all that he had seen. We know that he didn't fully understand all that this vision meant for his people, the Jews. But he wanted to know more of what the vision meant, not to satisfy his own curiosity, not so that he could show off about all that he knew, but so that he could reach others and prepare people for what lay ahead. And that should be our approach also. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are a God who reveals mysteries. Lord, thank you for what you've revealed through Daniel. And just as it has been fulfilled in the past, so we shall anticipate its fulfillment in the future. Lord, as we move ever closer to that day, we pray for real discernment, that you would help us to understand the signs of the times and to interpret them correctly and to reach many with the salvation that only Jesus Christ can give. It is in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to In the Word with Michelle Telfer. Join us next week as we continue our study from God's Word, the Bible. For more of Michelle's resources, visit her website at intheword.com.